Brethren, we always give the Lord thanks because even if we don't know, by faith we understand that all things are working together for our good. So let's give the Lord thanks and say, Lord, we thank you for bringing us together again. We thank you. Give him thanks. Lord, that you have brought us as a church. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, because we are the privileged ones that you are speaking your mind to. Not just that you're speaking your mind to us, you have given us the spirit to discern what you are saying in times like this. Oh, we thank you. Can you give the Lord thanks? Give the Lord thanks. When there is trouble, you know where to run to. Like the psalmist will say, when my heart is overwhelmed, when I'm overwhelmed, they say, lead me to the rock. You have been led to the rock. You have been led to the rock. And the rock does two things. It's a place of safety and it also is a place of provision. So give the Lord thanks. Give the Lord thanks. Say, Lord, I thank you because you have led me to the rock. You have led me to the rock. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Can you give the Lord thanks if you are truly excited that you are hearing God's word? That you are hearing God's word? That you are at the feet of Jesus. You are just careful to hear what he will say to you. You are just careful for him to give you the instruction that you will run with. You are just careful to sit and will impact grace into your life. Can you give the Lord thanks for that? And say, Lord, we thank you. Oh, brethren, it is not by your power. No, the Bible says there is a spirit that is at work in you. It is that spirit that has led you to this place. Is that spirit that is explaining the truth to you. And the truth is Jesus. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not say anything of himself, but he will testify of Jesus. So the spirit of the Lord is testifying of Jesus in your life. So give him thanks. And say, Lord, I thank you for ability to, to hear and understand. Oh, for ability to see and I, I can perceive. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Thank him because you are not confused. Thank him because daily, daily, while the hearts of men are failing, they don't know what the future holds, the Spirit of the Lord just makes you see what God is doing, and you're just keen in. Can you bless the name of the Lord for that? And say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you because I am not confused. I thank you because you've given me clarity. I thank you, Lord, because you are the one leading me. Blessed be God forever. Blessed be God forever. There is something that the Lord is doing in you, people of God. And I'm just excited. Thank him because this matter of faith, we might not understand everything about it. We might not understand the whole package of salvation. But bit by bit, he's explaining it to us. Lord, we give you praise. We bless your name. Now, finally, let us pray that the Lord will give us a word today. That is why you have come. Say, Lord, even as we attentively sit to listen to you speak to us, give us a word. Speak your word to me today. Open your mouth and pray. Say, Lord, speak your word to me today. Oh, speak your word to me today. My heart is open. I am eager to hear you talk to me. I truly want to receive from you instructions that I will run with. I need grace to do. Ask that the Lord will speak his word to you today. That again, the word of the Lord will come to you with power. Lord, that is our prayer. Because we know you have everything you want to say to us is in your word. And our ears are just open to receiving that word. We bless your name, Jesus. 
Thank you. Thank you for what you will do today. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, you give me an amen. Amen. Let's take our declaration of understanding as we begin to study today. Remember, it's a declaration. Amen. All right, so let's go. One, two, let's go. And the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 Now, that's what God will do for you again today in Jesus' name. All right, let me not forget, anybody listening to this, expect to be healed today in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to tell you, expect to be healed today in the name of Jesus. Amen. As this word is coming forth, cancer will begin to die. Amen. As this word is coming forth, diabetes will begin to end. Amen. As this word is coming forth, no matter what be the affliction in your body, your eyes will begin to clear. Amen. There are diseases that don't have names. You do, nobody knows what is wrong. Whatever it is, it will begin to clear as this word today is coming forth. In the name of Jesus Christ. No matter where you are hearing this from, I want you to do something. This is what you are going to do. You know, Ken Hagen, um, the, the, both Ken Hagen, Lillian B. Yeomans, and um, John G. Lake says something. If people will give me the same attention that they give to doctors, no matter what is wrong with them, I will get them healed 100% of the time. That's what they said. 100% of the times they will get healed. Now, one of the things is that when doctors say do something, we tend to do it. So this is the doctor's prescription for today. Pay attention. That is just a prescription for today, which is what? Pay attention. Pay attention. Don't answer any call. We're going to be here together for the next one and a half hours, maximum two hours, less than that, actually. Don't answer any call. Somebody calls you in the same home, tell them, I'm watching something. Pay attention. Let there be no break in the flow as we start today. I'm not going to be teaching on healing. I'm just going to be teaching on salvation. But the Spirit of God will ride upon those words, and it will heal the sick today in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, and if the person that you want healed is unconscious, listen for the person. I hope you're getting my point. Listen for the individual. Listen for the person. There's a healing power that's going over the airwaves today. And if you are listening to this recorded, still pay attention. The bones of Elisha, remember, long after the man had died, he had the last dose of anointing. <laughs> a dead man was cast into the grave. He touched the bones. You know, there was something left. God had to discharge it somewhere. What I want to say is that even though you are listening to this in a recorded medium, it has not reduced the power therein. You will be healed today in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Now, we are going to continue teaching on this is what salvation is, is what we have been speaking on now for a few days, and I want to continue on that particular um, uh, direction, on that particular subject, more like. This is what salvation is. Uh, let's take a few uh, portions of the Bible and read to start. Uh, some of them we have read before. Okay, let's start today with the book of Isaiah chapter 53. The book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Uh, last time we read uh, the one from 
Psalm 100, and I'll refer to that one again today. Okay, maybe let's do something. Let's quickly read Psalm 100, then we'll go to Isaiah chapter 53. Now, if you remember last time when I began to speak, I took time out to explain a principle concerning the person of God the Father. Uh, We needed to remind ourselves, actually, that God is the same. The God of the Old Covenant, that is Old Testament, or more like of the former times, is is the same God of these latter times. This same God was merciful then, and he was also a just God then. I don't want to use the word judgmental because it will give people the impression that God is looking for how to kill somebody. That's not what we mean. He was a judge. He was just. He punished iniquity. He recompensed disobedience fairly. That time also, he was merciful. What was most striking, people just didn't understand it. What was most striking about God that time was his mercy. The reason why it did not seem to have been played out so much in our own thinking was because people were so disobedient, he had to judge. So you found two things that marked that part of his character, what made it so prominent. One was that he warned again and again and again and again. And the Bible says there's some one particular portion of the Bible that I like in Chronicles. He said he sent prophets to his people again and again. They despised the prophets. They killed some of them. He said until there was no remedy. So he began to pour forth his judgment. So two things made his judging character so prominent. One was that he took time out to warn people. He was always warning. He was always warning. Two was because the people did not listen to warning and there was no remedy. Therefore, he passed forth judgment. So you see a lot of warnings and then you see a lot of judgment. What happened was that those two things made it so prominent. So it looked to people as if God used to judge a lot. He didn't used to judge a lot. The people used to disobey a lot. I hope you're getting my point. But we saw the demonstration of his kindness when Nineveh repented and he showed mercy. Even his prophet was angry at that degree of mercy. God had to be defending himself. I said, ah, Jonah, you self check him. If it's you, we kill that number of people that don't know their left from their right. His mercy was demonstrated. He was more merciful than Jonah. He was kinder than any human being. He was. He was always like that. So let's not give ourselves the impression that the God of the old covenant, the, old, uh, the former times, that God was harsh. This one is kind. It's not true. He was always kind, and he's still kind till today. In the same manner, he has always been just. So till today, he will punish iniquity if we don't repent. And the worst of judgments you find in the Bible was, demonst- was described in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was when the angriest face, okay, maybe, okay, the one that will compare with, with that is, is in Genesis. It's in Genesis where he destroyed the whole earth. But he has always been a kind God. He has always been a merciful God. And he has always been a just God. Please, this is just what I feel is upon, and the Holy Spirit wants us to know this day, so it's, hard, it's, it's, it's hot in my heart. This is strong in my heart. I have to keep on warning people about it. You have to depart from iniquity because the God of heaven will eventually do what is called passing the, you know, giving us the just recompense of reward for disobedience. Eventually, he will bring it. What grace does for us is make it easy for us 
to walk in obedience. What grace does not reduce, listen, it does not reduce the demand of God for purity. It does not reduce the demand of God for obedience. It doesn't. If anything, it heightens it. But it makes it possible. I gave the example last time. God could love a man like David, even though he had ten wives. He was mindful of what David had. But I can't try it now. I can't. Even my own brethren, they depart from me. Even before I married the wife, once I start chasing a concubine, the church will scatter. And it should scatter. It should scatter. It should. Why would God even punish me harsher? Because he knows, and this is not bragging, brethren. I have something David did not have. It's called grace. Where grace, that is, where sin abounds, what happens? Grace much more abounds. So when the society is more difficult for us believers, God has poured more grace in us to be able to resist the sin. And to whom much is given? Much is expected. That is the thing that is unique about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He pumped grace in abundance. It's called abundance of grace. That's what we have received. The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We have it in abundance. The grace we have these days can produce people like Paul again and again and again. People who would not love their lives even when faced with death. That grace can produce it for God now again and again in our lives. Let's never forget that. We discussed that last time. Let me not spend so much time going over that again. All right? But in that light, I want to just bring out something before we get into today's teaching. As he had said, I was listening to one message during the week, and, um, and I just that maybe that's what's prompting me to say this. People say that under the old order, you obeyed God out of what? The fear of God. But under the new order, you obey him out of what? Love. It sounds nice. Do you know the truth? I found that it's not true. I'm sorry. Don't mean to be critical, but let's get these things right. On Tuesday, we've been teaching about the prophetic word for the season. And one of the things that God is demanding of the body of Christ now is that we must get our doctrines correct. So that is why we have to bring these things to light and explain them. Who's told us? Now, you know, we just assume so. That the other people, they feared God. They feared God. Now, because we have Holy Ghost services where we misbehave, we think we don't need the fear of God anymore. The truth is that we should fear God now more than they did. We understand him more now than they did. So that should bring forth a sense of awe and fear in us more than they understood. But what I want to explain is that we just assume that then it was fear. Now it is love. You know, I read my Bible, it's not true. Jesus said something. Upon what was based all the law and the commandments? What's the first thing? Upon the love of God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your kidneys, with all your ears. <laughs> I'm adding words to it now. That's what he said. He didn't say, Thou shalt fear the Lord of God with all your heart. What did he say? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. He just don't know me. I said, Wait, who told us that then there was no love? For God. There was love for God. It's just that what we call the love of God is not the way a man loves his wife. Love has his own definition. Different definitions. Two things you consider when you are defining love is who are you talking about? Who are the parties? And two, in which direction are you looking at it? So, what is the love for God is obedience. So two parties here, God 
and people. God and me. God one party, you the other party, human being. How do you, de- so first we identify the parties. How do we now define love? Which direction? If it's the direction of God to man, it is called provision. The definition of love is provision. For God loved the alien amongst you in that he gave him food and, you know, food and raiment and the three things he mentioned. Anyway, he gave him provisions he needed. So that's, that was God's love for the alien amongst you. What is God's love for the whole of mankind? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Two parties, God and people. Let's look at it in the other direction. If a man loves me, he will keep my word. Let's get emotions out of this love first. Let's get the real meaning of love. Thou shalt love the love. In fact, let's read that portion. It's so beautiful. The way Moses said it. So that when we're understanding love, let's know what we're talking about. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So Jesus said, you can read that, of course. There are many references to it. But you can look at the one in Mark chapter 12. Jesus said, upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything hung on the love of God, and the second one was the love for your neighbor. But I want to emphasize the fact that, so from the, from the former times, people obeyed God out of love, not necessarily out of fear like we see now. The, the reality, however, is that the love of God, the true love of God, cannot be separated from the fear of God. If you separate them, you lose both of them. It's like trying to buy money and your coin has only, trying to buy something, and the money you are using, which is a coin, has only one side. It's counterfeit. It will not work. Look at what he said. Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verse um, 5, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, what is the result of that? The next verses. As a result of that love, these words I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And then you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'm bringing something here. The sign that you love God is that you take heed to the words that he is commanding. And not only for yourself, you pass it down to your children. That is love for God. There is nothing emotional about it. Real love is only shown by the actions that it produces. And real love, you see it. For God, it is being careful to learn his words. The words must be in your heart. You obey those words. We don't want to go into Deuteronomy chapter 28 now. Start seeing what, David, um, what um, Moses said about obeying the commandments. He said, you shall hearken diligently. What that means is that you shall pay attention. You shall listen, listening. And it's true sign that you have paid attention is that you start walking by those words. I just feel like getting that one out to us. People have loved God from the... It wasn't like uh, this... You know, I, I just heard that I said, no, let's balance this thing. People say that the, the former order, you obey God out of fear. The new order, you be, obey him out of love. I said, it sounds nice, it's not, it's not correct. 
it sounds nice, it's not true. God commanded love from the beginning. I hope you're getting my point. Now, the same love now goes on into the new order. And just like I've been saying, the principle remains the same. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my word. If you love me, you will keep my word. I don't want to keep on talking about love now, but I can't resist this. Because I said, you consider the parties first thing. The second thing you consider is the direction in which you're checking it. You know? <laughs> Let's take human beings also, that is amongst us. You have a boss. You have an employee. The boss that comes to your, your child's naming ceremony doesn't love you. The boss that sits you on the road and hugs you does not love you. I'm not saying he hates you. I'm just saying don't define it. You want to know the boss that loves you? Pay. <laughs> pay salaries on time. Pay properly. It's staff welfare. That is the definition. That's it. There are bosses that are so nice, they laugh. Oh, Pele, you have been sick. What happened? Pay on time now. Pay on time. You want to be telling us stories of them. You know, say, oh, that man is so nice. He's so nice. There's no boss that is nice if he's owing three months salary. He's a weekend so. I know he thinks he's nice, though. In the same manner, greeting your guy by the wayside can be eye service. If you consider it in the other direction, do the work you have been given to do and do it well. That is love for the boss. We get this love thing so much into the emotional area. We get into the emotional area. We don't do the real love. Sometimes we, we miss, you know, let me give an example. Very sensitive one I want to get into again. Let's, the third example, remember we consider two things. One, the parties involved. And number two, the direction. Let's take a husband and a wife. Two parties now. Now, let's look at the direction. I found out something. A lot of women, they love their husbands in the secondary way, not in the primary way. They love the husband the way the husband is supposed to love them. Let me give an example. Has he eaten? Does he have water to have his bath? Is the water warm? No, my husband must eat to run up and run up and run up and down. Then you now shout on the man. Steve, uh-uh, your water has been here since have you not eaten? That is not love. If you can talk to him like that, you don't love him. It's better for him not to have water to have his bath. <laughs> you don't shout to him to come and take his food. You can do that for your sons, your daughters. That is why some people will not find that because amongst unbelieving men. How come this man is chasing his secretary in the office? Because she never raises her voice when she's talking to him. Giving him food is good, but it's secondary. In the same manner, the man cannot say he loves his wife. Like one of my classmates posted something the other day. Of course, I made a joke out of it. A woman was carrying a load on her head. She had a bag in her hand and had a baby on her back. And the man was holding her hand and they were walking. The guy said, real, somebody that wrote real love. That this man is so loving. If he wasn't so loving, he would have asked his wife to carry him too. <laughs> Do you get the joke? <laughs> the woman was carrying a box on her head. A bag in her hand. A baby on her back. And there was this nigga there that held... <laughs> I don't know who it was. It was just a picture. There was this guy that held her hand and they were walking. And they say, oh, that guy loves his wife so much. He holds her hand when they are walking. 
That is Satan loving his wife. That is wickedness. Maybe because in a society where men, men are not, you must not be a woman rapper. Nonsense. If you really love your wife, you will remove the bag. You want her head. You put it on your head. If you don't like your head, put it on your left hand. Then the bag on her right hand, put it on your right hand. And then carry the baby on your neck. She will not agree. Most women will not agree because for the life of the baby, not because of you. <laughs> they let her hold the baby. You don't, she doesn't want you to hold her. What am I doing with your hand you are holding? When my neck is about to break under the load. To take burden away from her, that is love. Now, honey, you are sweet. Honey, you are fine. It's good. That is engine oil for the engine. The real petrol is the one person we're talking about. The real, the real thing. Thank God for the engine oil. It makes it smoother and nicer. Like I said, I, I just had to drop that one in. That's not my message. Let's get back to the main thing. We love God, amen? amen. But there's nothing emotional about it primarily. Emotion is secondary. Emotion is secondary. The primary thing is what? Obedience. Now, I just went to all of that to bring out the issue that, let's not get it wrong, please. The old, for the former times, people loved God. They were not afraid of him. So we will not cast away the kind of fear they had because we think we have liberty, which we call love. No. We are to love God and fear him. Both of them go hand in hand. You cannot separate them. It says, fear God, obey his commandments. That is the whole duty of man. There's no fear of God if you are not obeying his commandments. There is no love of God if you are not obeying his commandments. I was thinking about it. I may not be 100% accurate about this, but let me just drop it. The difference between love and fear in practical terms. Both of them have to do with commandments. Fear, in practical terms, is knowing that disobedience brings forth judgment. That is fear. Fear means disobedience. I know that disobedience brings forth what? Judgment. Now, this is the second side I said. Maybe I'm not 100% accurate, but let me just drop it. What is love? Is knowing that every commandment was given for my benefit, not for his benefit. So that's the two sides to it. Those are the two sides. If you say, love the Lord thy God, obey his commandments. Fear the Lord thy God, obey his commandments. So what's the difference, what's the difference between the two? When I love God, I recognize his love for me. So I know that every commandment he gives is for my benefit. What is fear God? Still on the same commandments. We are still talking about the same instructions. I understand that when I disobey them, he has to judge. So two of them are for my good. If I love God, I take the benefits. If I fear God, I avoid the judgment. I hope you're getting my point here. Remember what I said that uh, John Bever said that um, uh, wasn't of this man that went to jail. Jim Baker. That Jim Baker said, I loved the Lord. The love I had for God never wavered. The love I had for the Lord Jesus Christ never wavered. But I did not fear him. I lost the fear of God. Now this is my own interpretation of that. I knew he had blessings for me. I recognized his affection for me. And I was willing to reciprocate if I could. But I did not remember that every disobedience 
comes with a just recompense of reward. So I lived anyhow. I was willing to forgo of the blessing. But I forgot that it's not just the blessing I will forgo of. I will inherit judgment. I will inherit a punishment. He learned that while he was in prison. He learned a lot of things. Do you know what? As soon as he finished learning his lessons, God released him. They had sentenced him to 35 years imprisonment. You know, Americans don't have a justice system. They have a vengeance system. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. That's American system. I see the things that, the kind of judgments they pass. I said, this is not judgment. This is not justice. This is vengeance. If you make a mistake, maybe you mistake, you are angry with your friend. You set his house on fire. You didn't know that children were playing there. And two people died, three people died. They will will judge you for setting the fire. Sentence you for the fire. Sentence you for the fault to set fire. Then sentence you for each of the deaths. Listen, your corpse will still serve. After you have died, you will still be in jail. (laughs) By the time they add your judgment, that's how Americans, at least they judge out of anger. They look at the impact of what you have. They even do what they call victim impact assessment. So the victim will come to court to say how useless his life has become because of you. So that they can sentence you seriously. So, Jim Baker was sentenced. Just for the things they said he did, he was sentenced to 35 years imprisonment. Thereabout. Because the sentences were, the, 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 um, the, the, the indictments were plenty. He had about seven counts or eight counts or ten counts. Wire fraud, conspiracy to com- commit wire fraud. Mail fraud, conspiracy to commit mail fraud. They kept on listing it until the thing was plenty. So the judge who tried him the first time, his name was Bob something. And in the legal circles, they used to call him Maximum Bob. Why did they call him Maximum Bob? Because he gave you the harshest sentence the statutes allowed. If they say sentence between one year to ten years, you sure you are getting ten if it is my Bob that tries you. So when he sentenced Jim Baker on those issues, he gave him maximum sentence on each one. Totaled about 35 years. So the man knew he was going to die in prison. And he went to jail. Then he got a new lawyer. Very intelligent man. Listen, before I talk about the lawyer, so don't go, don't go and say, go and get a good lawyer. No. It was God working out the events. When God saw that his son, his servant, had learned the necessary lessons, he said, I will let him go. So they got a new lawyer. The new lawyer looked at the whole transcript, looked at everything, decided the first lawyer did a bad job. And said that this guy didn't handle this trial well. But see, all of these things don't get carried away by the physical play out. They are spiritual things. Because while he was in jail, he had to learn forgiveness. One of the people he had to be praying for was the judge that sentenced him to a practical life imprisonment. He would take time out and pray for Maximum Bob. Pray for his lawyer. Pray for Jessica Han. Pray for everybody. Pray for everybody he could think of, including the, the, the pastor that brought Jessica. Pray, pray for everybody. It was while he was doing that, do you understand? And then revising his doctrine. That God said, good, this is my servant has learned. Then one day, the other inmates came and said, hey, oh boy, your judgment has been thrown out. The appeal court said he has to go back for resentencing. Why? Because the first trial judge made a statement and the new lawyer picked on it and said, this man is biased. 
he was biased. Because when he was sentencing him, he said, you, like I can't remember the exact words, but this is to the effect of something like this. You new generation pastors, preachers, you want to make those of us with old-time religion look like we don't know what we are doing. For using the words you and us, they said this is bias. They took that statement to appeal. Appeal said that judgment cannot stand. Because it was a trial by jury, the indictment, the, the guilty charge, um, the guilty verdict stood, but the sentence could not stand. So they had to send him for resentencing. The same counts, but this time around, he got a minimum bob. <laughs> the guy's name was not Bob, but that one started giving things like five months imprisonment, six months, one year, five months. By the time they totaled it, it came to five years. Down from 35 to five or six years. Of course, by that time, he had been in jail for some time. So he served a year or two more, and he was released on parole after like a year or so. Make a long story short, he ended up being in jail for a short time. He thought he would die in prison. But God had him released. This is how spiritual things work. Don't get carried away with the legal analysis. I just give the story for us to see how it played out. But the truth was that God was the one that released him when he learned what it meant to fear God and to forgive people. That was why I told John Bevere, I love the Lord, but I did not fear him. And I feel like we, the children of God in this generation, we should remember that. We must love the Lord, and we must do what? Fear the Lord. You know, I thought about it. I found many references in, in the scriptures concerning the fear of God. Jesus taught it. You know, Peter taught it. James taught it. I just found it all over the place. Let me drop a few for you. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, the Lord Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That was Jesus teaching people the fear of God. If you read the book of Acts in chapter 9, he said, Through, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. In, that's verse 31. Being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. That was a comment on what happened in the church in the book of Acts. This was New Testament. They were going on in the fear of the Lord. Paul said, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 11. The one which I quote a lot in verse 1 of chapter 7 of, the, of that same book. He said, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, that was Paul speaking. He said to the husband and wives, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The same part, that was Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And in Philippians chapter 2, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, and not, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Peter said the same thing. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the king. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. If you go down to Revelation, John said the same thing there. And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him, 
from the least to the greatest. Listen to me. There was the love of God under the old order, just like there's the love of God under this order. There was the fear of God under that order. And right now we are commanded once again with a very strong voice to fear God. Peter went to the house of Cornelius. He said he solemnly charged us to preach him as a God-appointed judge of the living and the dead. That was one charge he gave to them. Go and tell everybody I will judge. That just adding something to what we discussed last time. Let's get into today's message. The Lord is good. What is salvation? Isaiah chapter 53. You know, we just keep teaching. We, can't, we have to keep teaching. Instructing people. The whole counsel of God. That's what we need. God loves us. Amen? Let me just add this one. He's not looking for who to punish. He's just saying, don't take my love for granted. Don't take my kindness for granted. Later on, when, I get, when we get there, I will teach about that. I was listening to Derek Prince teach such a beautiful message. And he explained the fact that we cannot be perfect from the beginning. And he was talking about the righteousness that is by faith. Why we must hold on to our faith tightly, even if we fail God anywhere along the line. That Peter betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ and denied him. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that you will not deny me. Was that what he said? Answer me, was that what he said? He said, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So because of the pressure, you must understand, Peter did not think he would ever deny Jesus Christ. And there are many things you will end up doing as a believer. You yourself, you'll be shocked by it. And that shock is critical. And that's why some of the things we preach, they are so bad. We want to give people comfort in their disobedience. You shouldn't have comfort in your disobedience. You should not have it. You should be terrified. You should humble yourself. You should cry. Don't forget, when Peter denied Jesus, he, he knew instantly, that's how he felt, that he was no longer worthy. Listen to me, that's the right reaction. One thing I'm convinced about is many of the people who are saying that, eh, I can never lose my salvation, they are the ones that will lose it. Too. The people that are saying you can lose it are the ones that will not lose it. Not just for the simple reason that they are likely to be more careful. The Bible says, let him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. But I don't want to forget to add this comfort to it. When Jesus sent a message out to the disciples, he mentioned the name of Peter distinctly. Tell all my apostles and Peter. Tell all my people and Peter. He didn't forget. He, loved, he knew that, listen, the Bible says he's mindful that we are but flesh. Under the pressure that the man was under, that Peter was under, most people would have denied him. He wasn't thinking at that time. Don't think he went to calculate, we're about to escape, let's deny him. No. Somebody just grabbed him, you look like one of them. Like who? He, no, now, ah, what are you talking about? That was denial. You can say anything you want. He said, look at you, the way you are talking, I've noticed your voice. You sound like one of them. You really are a Galilean. He said, what are you talking about? I don't know anything, no, because when, they're about to, when you see what they are doing to your Lord, when they catch you, you know what they will do to you? They want more guy, I saw, I saw you with them. He said, I swear by Almighty God, I've never seen him before. The first time he denied, the cock crowed the first time. In the short interval, he crowed the second time. You see, my understanding of it is that the denial was rapid. Before the cock could rest 
and take the next breath for crowing. He had denied him three times. And the moment he noticed what he had done, it was like David. When they said, you are that man, the man went into repentance. He didn't come and say, listen, I have Abraham as my father. Those are the ones that God will have to punish. As soon as they said, you are the man, the man went into repentance. Sackcloth, ashes, I have sinned. I have sinned against God. Like I said last time, that was why he did not, listen, after he ran away from Absalom, go and check it, he did not come back by himself to the throne. The elders had to send for him and bring him back. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. Told one of our sisters once. Let's talk about humility briefly before we get back into this message. Let's talk about humility briefly. One of one of our sisters, she came to see me. We were talking. She said she resigned her job. I said, "Why did you resign?" She said they gave her. Um, they suspended her for something. I said, "So you resigned?" She said, "Yes." I told her simply. I said, "My sister, they don't do like that." And she was very tired of the job. I said, no, 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 no. You cannot resign in the middle of a suspension. It doesn't work. That is pride. They've suspended you. After all, the suspension, how long was it? For two weeks. I said, save out the suspension. Come back to work. Work like you want to die for one month. So that they will forget the reason why they suspended you. Work intensely. When you have worked hard and they are happy with you, then give them one month's notice and leave. You don't just get up. Ah, you are, what you are saying is that you are too big to be suspended. I know you feel like that too. Maybe I feel like that with you. Maybe we all feel like that. But God will have to make sure he removes that feeling. <laughs> I had a story of a man. He was in an office. His boss retired or was transferred. And he knew. He knew like he knew like he knew. Amen. Praise God. He has sowed his seed for the next level. So as soon as his boss retired, he knew that they were going to promote him. Except that they brought one guy from somewhere and put above him. And he did what foolish people do. He put pen to paper and resigned. Nobody you get company. Now employ they employ you. I'm the owner of the company. I can bring a rat and put him as MD. It's my company that we spoke. You can say, oh God, please, this rat will eat all the cables. Please now. But you can't be angry. It's not your own. He resigned in anger. Like, how could they do this? The person telling us the story said when he went to visit the man, this was a big executive before, he was living in an uncompleted building with plank and wrapper for window. Please. You see, I don't want to go into that now, but I noticed something about Peter. He emphasized to Christians when he said that they should humble themselves, when he explained to them, all right, that anyone without discipline is a bastard. He was talking to Christians who were under affliction. He told them to take their affliction as the disciplining of the Lord. We have to learn to be humble. That is part of the fear of God. Like I said, let's get into this message. We've spent a lot of time on these other ones. The Lord is good. I said we should open somewhere, right? This is what salvation is. Isaiah chapter 53. Let's talk about salvation. 
Now, he said, who has believed our message? Now, this is so beautiful because this is the prophetic, a very, one of the most beautiful prophetic passages in the Bible. It was talking about the plan of God in eternity concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. For time's sake, I'm no, I know we're going to come back to this, so let me just rush this one. All right? Jump to verse 4. Talking about the, the Lamb of God. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Now, verse 6 is the reason why I read this. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Please, that verse 6 is the reason why I read this portion. I wanted to take it from the beginning, but because of time, I felt we'll come back to it later because we have to talk about this Lamb of God. So we definitely will come back here, the Lord allowing that, of course. So let's read that verse 6. Why did he have to go through all of that? It's simply because all of us, like sheep, we have gone astray. Notice the next line. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now, turning to your own way is what is called iniquity. Please bear this in mind. Quickly, go back to that Psalm 100. I'll just pick a few verses in Psalm 100, and then we'll go to Genesis. What I want to talk about today, let me see how much time I have left for that. That's the main thing I planned. The other one is just um, to finish what we're saying about getting the character of God right. What I want to talk about today is this each one of each one of us going his own way. And we're going to take that from the eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the garden. Let me just read verse 3 to save time. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's what I want to read. The fact that he said, the Lord himself is God. Let me remind us of the meaning of that. Remember we said that all God is asking from people is just to do what? Feel after him. That's what Paul said when he was talking in Athens. That is, God has given us enough reasons to know there is somebody there. Today, one of my classmates sent something about to debunk um, evolution. I have not read it. It's quite a long piece. It's a PDF file. But I answered, I said, does anybody still believe in that Darwinian evolution? That was my answer. I said, it's like when I see somebody smoking like that, people still smoke. Do you know, in my head, I think nobody, <laughs> in my brain, eh? I assume nobody smokes cigarettes anymore. I don't know. One, I hardly see people smoke. And then for years, I've learned and preached, of course, professionally now, the dangers in cigarette smoking. So when, it's, when I see a man smoke, do you know, it shocks me. I'm like, excuse me, you still smoke? Which century are you in? It's no longer in vogue. Do you get my point? He's like, you still smoke? What happened to you? 
So if he now tells me that I've been smoking for 60 years, I say, okay, okay, fine, I can understand. But if I see a young man smoke, now I know that you are demon-possessed. Because it's, no lo- that is, it's not even in fashion anymore. All over the world, people now know the dangers, and you don't need to, you know, you don't need to impress us with the fact that you can smoke. You only tell us you are stupid, that's all. That you have no self-control. In the same manner, today when they said that, I said, although I understood that people still do that, I just was trying to be dramatic, but I feel like people still believe in evolution. I said something that makes absolutely no sense scientifically. We've talked about that here again and again, so I don't want to sit down on it again. God says, I have given you enough evidence. I'm not saying you will know that my name is whichever name the Christians called me for you. I'm just saying you should know enough to group and say, where did this start from? There is enough evidence for you to know somebody must have made it. That's what I wrote for my classmate. I said, look, we know there is enough evidence to know that somebody made this. And I made a joke. There's one of my classmates who said he doesn't believe in God, but he worships ancestors. I said, even him, he now realizes that he has to worship his ancestors. Because <laughs> this cannot be all there is to life. That's just common sense. So we said, what we now do is just to group after God. And anyone who sincerely groups after him, he will meet. I've talked about that. I don't want to start that now. Anyone who sincerely groups after him, he will meet. He will know where did this come from. He will be asking. Then David now came to answer that question to Israelites. He said, if you are asking where did this come from, you recognize there is a God that made it. Let me introduce him to you. Know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when you see the Bible, use the word, the, most Bibles use the word the Lord, is referring to Jehovah, Yahweh, whichever way you want to pronounce his name. He's telling you that, see, this one, of all the people that claim to be God, this is God. I hope you're getting my point here. Because in relating with Israel, he gave a name. Let me give an example now. So if we, is, uh, we, we Christians tell somebody who's asking, where did all of this come from? We say, do you know the creator of all things sent his son by whom he created all things onto the earth? And the person says, are you serious? Say, yes, his name is Jesus. That's what he was doing here. He was saying to them, this our Lord, this is a for, know that the Lord, the Lord himself is God. There is no God elsewhere. We're not just worshipping this one because it is convenient. We know that he is God. And we know him by the way he revealed himself to us. This was the name he gave us. Now, please bear that in mind. So he said, it is he, this God, this Yahweh, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. And like I said last time, if I made a device, assuming my name is Samsung, or LG, or Apple, you have to take instructions from me on how to use it. If you don't take instructions from me, you will lose the blessing in the device I made, even though you paid for it. And that is the principle of salvation. Please bear that in mind. I've already explained, we read from Corinthians, that Paul said that God has a plan. And what is that plan? That he's going to subject everything to himself. And how is he going to do it? He sent his son, and that is Jesus Christ, that everything will be subject to Christ, 
And then Christ himself will be subject to God so that God will be all things in all. And we say, what is eternal damnation? Now, sometimes I mix my terminology, so don't get carried away by which one. Some people now want to split here. Is it hell? Is it lake of fire? Let me just use a simple word. What is eternal damnation? Eternal damnation is when you deliberately exclude yourself from this plan of God. So he is forced to exclude you from his own plan permanently. So you will live in eternity without God. God is light. I hope you're getting my point. There is no light in the sun. There's no light in the stars. There's no star that generates light in itself. In itself. I know scientists will tell you that they are breaking hydrogen, and then, like today, my children and I were studying um, the sun, and that they, will go, they are going to use hydrogen, and the hydrogen will finish in 16 point something billion years' time, and it will explode and condense the other one. A story, story, scientific story. I'm not saying it's a lie, but it's science. The real thing was that God said, let there be light. When he said it literally, this is what the literal Hebrew says. Lord, the Lord looked and said, light be. And he pushed from himself light in an intensive or in, a mag, in a, an intensive magnitude. An intense magnitude. That he arranged the light in packets. And what you call a star is one of the packets of light. So they release it gradually as he has commanded. But the way it packages is inside the atoms, the hydrogen is splitting, that's science. But really, light came out of God and he packaged it like that. Now, what am I going to say? If God excludes you from himself, you are the eternal darkness. Listen to me, it is torment. I'm an adult. I have children who are now adults. <laughs> I hope I get my point. So, it's not, and I'm not ashamed to tell you that, I hate darkness. It's not like I'm afraid, but it, I don't know, it has a way of terrifying me, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about you. If I wake up at night, sometimes, and I wake up, and for one reason or the other, power is out. Now, I don't like switching up all my lights for that reason. Because sometimes you wake up, you don't know whether you're upside down. <laughs> has it happened to you before? You don't know which, which direction you are facing. And if you now wake up with a full bladder, you now run into the wall. Then you know that you're in trouble. <laughs> you get up, you want to go and ease yourself. Then boom, you're against the wall. Oh, my enemies, they finally got me. <laughs> and especially when I travel, you know, I've stayed in different hotels. Some of them have small rooms that, you know, you feel like the room wants to collapse on you. And, you know, I don't know how that, whether you get that feeling. You now feel like you're inside a mine. In South Africa, three kilometers below the earth. That one, I make sure I map how I'm sleeping so I know where the door is. So if I wake up during the night, what I do sometimes is I just put, I make sure my curtain is not too far. If I wake up, I like, put the curtain, my friend. Where is light? Once you see light, <laughs> oh, well, God is still there. <laughs> the Lord is good. Now, these are temporary things. It happens for just two, three seconds when you wake up, especially when I'm not at home. So I like to have light. But I believe that God has given me that experience for me, what, for me to know what darkness means. You don't know whether you are upside down, whether you are facing the east, facing the west. Sometimes, I don't know whether it's happened to you before, you don't even know whether you are dead or alive. All of this happens like two seconds. Though. Just wake up everywhere. It's dark. It's like two, three seconds to say, no, I traveled. I left home. Yes, I'm in a hotel. Yes, yes, yes. I must be on a bed. You touch the spring. 
Imagine that feeling for eternity. Listen, I don't need to, to, to add fire to it. That's enough fire. In fact, t- fire will be a good distraction. It will be a good distraction. Can I say something that when he got healed, he had been totally bedfast for about um, this 16 months there about, but for months. He had not gone anywhere. Be lying down 24 hours a day. So the, when he by faith got up from the bed, the first feeling he had was intense pain in his legs. He said it was really painful. He said, but when you have had no feeling for months, there's pleasure in pain. He said, well, he had not had feeling in his, from his waist down, most of his body, for a long time. He said, that pain was sweet. That's what I'm talking about. Being without God is so dark. I believe that they will light fire and burn you, you will like it. And it means somebody is there. What is eternal damnation? Listen. People say, is there hell? Is there fire? I said, listen, you must understand. When the Bible is talking, I, I do some thinking sometimes, especially because I do a bit of reading of funny, funny things, like, you know, science and all of that. And I do a lot of thinking. And I, I sometimes want to imagine what, the, what heaven or the spiritual world is like, which people have told us, apart from the Bible, I'm talking about those who have had experiences, They've told us it's very real. Neville Johnson, who died late last year, right? Was it last year he died or this year? Huh? Last year. Neville Johnson said that you have not seen colors until the colors in the other realm, the next realm. Let me just use that expression. That you think there are colors on the earth, that you do not see the colors. That the spiritual realm is so colorful. It's so colorful. That's when he was talking about, people said, do demons, can demons read your mind? He said, they don't have to. That your feeling radiates as colors. They can see it. They don't have to read your mind. He said, the spiritual realm is intensely colorful. Everything is reflected in colors. People have given us descriptions like that. Okay? So sometimes I want to imagine what things like that would be. And I just imagine somebody who saw heaven, who wants to describe to you, what it is like on the earth. That's why you hear all kinds of um, different descriptions. It's not because the people are not telling the truth. It's because they have to use what they can see here to tell you what it's like there. And that's why some people have tried to analyze the book of Revelation and all of that. There are some of the things that are said in there. Until they happen, you'll not be able to explain because the man was using something that he knew to explain what he had never seen before. So as the generations will pass, if John were to describe some things he saw then, now, he will use something else to explain it to you. Because now he has better things to use. Now I'm trying to bring out something here. So when they talk about fire in hell, or fire in the lake of fire and stuff like that, I look at it one way. That are they cooking there? Are they burning bush? That's what we know fire for on the earth, mostly. Then the time of atomic reactions came. We now understood that the sun is also fire in it. We understood another set of fires going on. So are they doing atomic reactions there? Or even if they are doing it, since we will not be in this kind of flesh, what difference will it make whether you are being burned by fire or, or helium and hydrogen are cleaving energy on you and you know, disintegrating your, your flesh? It wouldn't make any difference. It therefore makes sense that whatever is being described 
It's only bringing something that is in the realm of the spirit to the physical so you can relate with it. So fire or no fire, there is one thing that is common to both descriptions. That is torment. Torment is not physical. Torment is in the soul. You can feel torment on the earth. You can feel torment in heaven. That is like in the spiritual realm. I believe that what he's describing is torment. And I'm saying it again. It is absolutely tormentous. I hope that English is right. To be without God eternally. It is absolutely tormentous. Now, how do we get to that point? That's what we are now discussing. How do we get there? Isaiah said, it is because all of us went astray. How? By each of us turning his own way. That is the meaning of iniquity. Iniquity is not I lied. Iniquity is not I committed adultery. Iniquity is not I cheated. Iniquity is I turned my own way. It is in the process of turning your own way, you start doing all these things that God said do not do. Therefore, there are people that God will justifiably put, exclude from himself eternally. Why? In turning from him, human beings thought they were doing good. I don't know whether you are getting my point. But there are people who got up and decided to do good. But the good was by human standards. And in doing that, they turned from God. And by turning their own way, God condemned them. Let me give you an example. Modern warfare. Saul will have been commended for sparing Agag. True or false? But what did God do? Condemned him. Why? Because disobedience is like the sin of witchcraft. As far as God was concerned, he couldn't see any difference between the, the witches in Israel that Saul had eradicated and the Saul that was supposedly worshipping the Lord but refused to carry out his instructions. Why? The man had turned his own way. Once I saw one of our beloved, oh well, it's a public figure so I can mention his name, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I watched him on TV once. Was it on TV or they were quoting one something he said? It was an old man, and age is very terrible. Age starts making you do some things. If you don't confess the vitality of youth until you are old, you can start misbehaving when you are old. So the man was talking about, you know, homosexual rights and all the things that God called abominations, and he made a statement, and I shook my head. I said, sir, let me let you understand something. God told Job, I wasn't talking to him, I was just imagining the conversation. God told Job that if you do all this, your iniquity, who, who will it affect this bragging, you are bragging. You are the one that will suffer for it. He said that if God will not accept homosexuals in heaven, he does not want to go to that heaven. I said, God, so go to hell. Go to hell. He said it though. I, told, I said, be careful of old prophets. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said that. This was many years ago, of course. And I looked and said, do you fear God? Because something is popular? 
I like one thing beloved Ravi Zachariah said, who passed on a few days ago. When they asked him, he said, listen, he was trying to explain that how people feel. He said, I have people that have those feelings. They are not lying. The feelings are genuine and they can be, in, they can be intense. He said, but look at me. I travel a lot. Most of the times I travel, I stay in hotels. Most times I travel, I am without my wife. He says, so I face temptations. Now, let me now add words he did not use. The, temptation, the desires are genuine. The temptations are intense. He said, but, but, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said, because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, I have to learn. Now, please, I'll use both his words and my words, okay, just to make my point clear. I have to learn to sanctify that body. My feelings, irrespective. What matters is that the person who owns my temple has given me instructions, codes, and rules by which I must live in it. So I owe it to him to do whatever I have to do, not to break those rules. So that is what we preach as Christians. So are we saying that you were not born homosexuals? We are not discussing that. We are saying that if indeed he made us, and we did not make ourselves, if we find those feelings, we have to subject them to God and do what we have to do to overcome them. If we all walked by our feelings on this earth, there will be total anarchy. I mean, for goodness sake. We like to gather in large numbers, but the federal government said no. We like to stay out till 10 p.m. federal government said 8 p.m., everybody be inside your homes. And we comply. And we comply. Our feelings, not minding our feelings. We get up and we comply. So that day, when Archbishop said that thing, I just shook my head. I said, I don't understand. You don't need the pop because human beings know what they do. This is what human beings do. They, when human beings honor you, eh, hold it with a thread. Over the last few years, I've seen them honor people, then collect the honor back. When... Um, Former president in um, is this Zimbabwe? Zimbabwe, right? Mugabe, Zimbabwe, right? When he took over and took the uh, and treated the men he took over from so nicely, they honored him. He was Sir Robert Mugabe, thanks to the Queen. Then one day he said, "Let us share the land back." They collected the Sir back from him. And I remember Noel Woodruff laughing and said, Uncle Bob, you see how that stuff? <laughs> that you thought, I thought you had thrown it away long ago. Years later, they say you're no longer sir. You're no longer a knight of the empire. They will put your name in the walk of fame. Then one girl will come and say, you touched me inappropriately 35 years ago. They will remove your name from there again. That's what's going on in America right now. Men, they celebrated then one day they took the men and put them in prison. Sometimes I look at people, some of the guys, there was one I was seeing the news yesterday, they said four women have come to, um, is it testified to, anyways, to say that he sexually assaulted them. One, 35 years ago, the woman is now 72. I said, you don't have work. It's now you're coming to. <laughs> I read the news yesterday, I just shook my head. 
This same man at the time was celebrated. There's one famous French atheist. I've forgotten his name. It's not, it's not a name I know very well. I was reading about him recently. And do you know what? Then he glorified free sex, free love. He used to wait outside schools to wait for his small girlfriends. Girls who were 14, 15. And he would write about it. And his book sold in millions. He became a well-known figure. Now they are looking for him to crucify him. Because suddenly the heads are correct a bit. The very things they glorified. They said, wait, this man was a sexual predator for goodness sake. He's a poet. Forgotten his name. Not a name I know very well. Just reading about him sometime last month. Now they are looking for him now to grab him. I don't know whether he has died and they want to grab his dead body and burn it. And listen to me. What they will do, wherever they had honored his name, they will remove it. That's what people do. So I felt like telling our brother, say, if you are doing this to please man, great mistake. Listen, the word of God does not change. See, this world, we have seen it change again and again and again and again. It's always changing. They keep on changing their minds. What God is saying in one generation, believe me, will not be popular. In America today, eh? If you stand up as a pastor and preach some of these we are preaching openly, they do one of two things to you. One, if you are not very big, they will not popularize you. They shut you down entirely. You will go to a city, hold a program, all right? You do a program there, and 100,000 people will show up, and not one of the media networks will report it. Not one. I was going to Rabbi Zacharias this morning, just watch one of his videos. You know, when people die, start loving them more than before, you know. <laughs> I was watching one of his videos. My, okay, my wife, Akali, she had the video, so she showed it to me. So two of us were watching the video together. And he was describing, it was in the Philippines, he was describing a program he just came from in Atlanta. And 65,000 people gathered in an auditorium, all of them raising their hands to worship Christ Jesus, singing songs, and he didn't show up in any newspaper. 65,000. 65,000. In a major city in the United States, they did not show up in the newspaper. But he said, if five people gather and burn a flag, all the media network with their helicopter will be there covering it. If small trouble happens somewhere, but they will not gather to glorify Jesus Christ. So if you say the truth in this generation, they don't have two things to you. They shut you down entirely. They don't talk about you. Or if you are too big not to be reported, then they start attacking. They will find everything. A tax you did not pay, something you did that even God has forgotten. You know, there are things you did that even God can't remember again. And let me just warn anybody listening to this. If God says I've forgotten something, if you keep on digging it up, he will end you. No, be careful though. Divine, divine for, if God says I've forgiven somebody, if you make it your duty to bring up the matter again, God will just call you and say, oh boy, I know you don't have sense. That's why you're misbehaving like this. Let me just tell you something. Stop this rubbish. If you don't listen, you tell one angel, you know what to do. That one say, thank you, sir. <laughs> Some of these angels, they are swords, they are wicked. I'm not kidding. They're not just, I mean, kill that one for me. Because how can you remember what I've forgotten? You have more sense than me. I'm able to forget something, you're able to remember it. Then you must be God. <laughs> and glory, his glory he will share with no graven human being. If you know what I mean. 
They will go and dig things that God has forgotten to try to use to undermine somebody. The some of these were shouting Donald Trump, the Donald Trump. I said, if indeed, now listen to this. If indeed, now I'm not taking sides, I'm not, I'm not here to preach politics. But if what Paula White said about Donald Trump is true, all those who are digging, he touched one woman 15 years ago, he had an affair with one lot 17 years ago, you're just going to die early. Because if what Paula White said about Donald Trump giving his life to Christ is true, then God forgave him. Then he, listen to me, he has to judge anybody that wants to prove that he has not forgiven him. Because he says, your, your sins are forgiving, him, forgiving you. He said, now let me show you that the son of man has the right to forgive sins. How can you say to God he does not have the right to forgive? He will use this as an example. When you speak the truth, what of these people do? Start shutting you down. Or they now won't look for everything to undermine you. That's just an aside. Back to the main thing I'm trying to say. They look for everything to undermine you. That day I looked at Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I said, oh God. I was watching him, I think, on TV or reading it somewhere. I just looked. I said, no, you don't get it. You stick with God no matter what. You know, one, one thing I'm sure of, you see right now the whole world, now mark my words, I don't know where it will happen, but mark these words. Right now they are legalizing smoking of um, Indian hemp all over the place. See the way they've been campaigning to stop production of cigarettes and dismantle of cigarettes. They will start that again concerning cannabis. I give another 15 years. They will start it. You know, I, I know my people. Right now, coronavirus is out there. You've seen all the kind of things that stop coronavirus. The other day, there's not a publication on how the length of your nails affects whether you will die from coronavirus or you will not die from coronavirus. You've not read that one. It's not your fault. Don't read it. Please don't read it. It's confusion for your soul. Right now, scientific journals are pouring out publications on a daily basis, poorly reviewed, poorly done research, because they're just, that is, every week, thousands, every week, thousands. Everybody see two coronavirus, has written something. Today you hear that chloroquine helps coronavirus. WHO last week said, no, it kills coronavirus. It kills people because of heart failure. So they ended their trial of chloroquine for coronavirus. It didn't impress me because I know by next week another article will come from another place. They will discover that the chloroquine they took was made in the Atlantic. That if you take the one made in the Pacific, I know the way these things work. So all the noise they are making. Legalize India hemp, smoke Igbo, do everything. I give you 15 years. I give you 15 years. They will start again. They will not see the incidence of violence, madness, autism. When they see the list, they will say, guys, this thing is worse than cigarettes, except that it will take them another 50 years to be able to control it. That's how human beings behave. It's nothing new. They're always like that. Today, they're like this. And all of it with scientific fact or data, statistics. Somebody said there are three kinds of lies. Statistics, statistics, and statistics. Those are the three kinds of lies. <laughs> you can make statistics say anything. It's how, you, it's how you rearrange the figures and how you interpret it. Listen, let me not stay on that. That's why I don't let the word, anything that the, the scriptures have said anything about, anything God has revealed himself concerning, 
Stick with what he has said. You know, I went to love this and explain something. When it says, each of, each of us has turned to his own way. Many of us interpret iniquity as the obvious sins. Stealing, lying, sexual immorality, you know, business dishonesty, stuff like that. Using the name of the Lord in vain and all of that. But a lot of people do good in the estimation of mankind. That's why I went into that Desmond Tutu story. And they think they are doing good. But God says, listen, you have turned your own way. And the reason God is sending people into eternal damnation, we've already established it. It is because they are not subject to him. So if you are not subject to him and you become a murderer, you go into what? Eternal damnation. If you are not subject to him and you become a do-gooder, you still go to the same place. So that's why sometimes it appears unjust. Why should Adolf Hitler... You understand? And a man that just did some one small thing, go to the same place. God said, you don't understand what I'm judging. I'm not judging the killing of six million Jews. That is not what my final judgment is about. What my final judgment is about is kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish out of the way. My final judgment is not to account how many times you committed this. My final judgment is that are you subject to the son? That was why Derek Prince said that no Christian starts out his Christian life perfect in every way. None. But one thing we must never lose is our faith. Because what God is judging is that faith. Now what some of us preach about repentance is that you need to be sure that the faith is what? Genuine. But once the faith is genuine, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus... It covers us from all sins. He atones for all sins. Even if you do that which is not right. Because you are subject to the Son. In true faith. Now, I'm not contradicting myself now. Because I've, I preach a lot about repentance. I'm just saying that many people have faith that's not genuine. Just because they go to church, they want to tell you they are saved. They are not saved. James said, there can be dead faith. Faith that does not have works is dead. One of the things that characterizes true faith is what Peter said, if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. If they can increase, it means they were not perfect. I'll begin my point here. The prince gave a testimony. He said when he first preached Christ to him, what interested him, he told the man who invited him to church. He said, listen, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in religion. That's what he said. He grew up an Anglican or some sort, sort of England. So, but he said, I have nothing to do, so let's go. So he went to church that day with the man. And he said, the preacher was very funny, very dramatic. But what impressed, let me not go into detail so as to save time. But what impressed the prince was that the man read from Isaiah. And Isaiah said, Woe is me for I'm undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. The prince said, that described me perfectly. The rest of what the man preached, he had no idea. He said, but this man just described me correctly. Because at that time he was a British soldier, and he said the British soldiers then had the worst, the worst of lips in the world. They were always talking nonsense. And he said, I was as bad as any one of them. So that made sense to him. I hope you're getting my point. Next time he went for a meeting. 
Another man was preaching. And I was preaching about Enoch walked with God and he was not. Make a long story short. The man said, do you believe you're a sinner? He said he reasoned that his specialty as a philosophy um, a professor was definitions. So he checked all the definitions about sin. And he realized that they all fitted him. So he told the man, yes. He said, do you believe Jesus died for your sins? told the man, to tell you the truth about it, I cannot see the relationship between somebody who died almost 2,000 years ago <laughs> and the sins I've committed in my lifetime. He said when he gave his life to Christ, of course, I'm making this story, I'm, I'm jumping many things, it's a long story. This is where I'm going. When he became a believer, he said the first thing that God took from him was the unclean lips. He said, I never tried. There was no discipline. Nothing. I just stopped talking with bad words. My talk became clean. He said, now listen to this. I thought that was all there was to using your mouth wrongly. It took years before God showed him one thing, that you are very critical of people. That he realized the next sin of the lips he had to get rid of was excessive criticism. That it was so critical. He got rid of that. Then has kept on growing as a believer. Remember what Peter said. If these qualities are what? Yours and are increasing. So then one day God showed him that you are very... Now, bad talk, that is, dirty talk, ended. Critical talk, ended. Next, what the Holy Spirit go after? Faithless talk. The Holy Spirit told him you are very negative. Your comment on everything comes down faithless. You don't know how to speak faith into situations. Then he started working on that. But he was teaching something, which is why, in fact, I had to listen to the message again this morning because I had never, well, okay, maybe I, I had, I don't know. But in recent I can't remember anybody describing that perfection thing for me like that. That listen, in all of it, his faith in Christ was unshaken. So God was working on him daily. And that is why no Christian starts his life perfect. You can't start your life perfect. But the qualities must be what? Yours and increasing. It must be increasing. That is genuineness of faith. There are people that the qualities are not there. And it's not increasing. If anything, the little that was there is going down. They don't have faith. They don't have it at all. James said, such faith cannot save anybody. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. What is iniquity? You know, back to that. So I said all of this, so let us understand that. So you might find somebody doing what looks overtly wrong, Adolf Hitler. Or you find somebody doing what looks good to people. And God said, to me, both of them are the same. Why? Each one is going his own way. And my basis of judgment at the end of all is those who went their way or those who did not go their way, who went with me. What if they have sins in them? Jesus says, I, listen, we'll talk about righteousness. Righteousness is not just a label. It's a power that Christ imparts into the life of people to remove their shortcomings. So when it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, it's not as if God left him, you know, 
the way he was. No, he kept on cleaning the man out. He kept on cleaning the man out. Till a point came, God looked at Abraham. He said, this Abraham is perfect. He said, let me prove it to you. Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. He drilled it in. And go and offer him to, him, to me as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And Abraham took Isaac. And he took him there. And for you to understand, Isaac was not a baby boy. Isaac was a, was a full-grown adult. And what was most important at that point was that Isaac was the embodiment of the work of Abraham with God for the last 65 years thereabout when he asked for him. God said, I have, I've worked with this fellow so well, that is, I've worked on him so much that he's ready to stake the product of 65 years labor on my promise. I'm not talking about that in the further details. But to let you know that God was working on the man, God was working on him, God was working on him until even God was sure of what he had produced. The man was afraid and allowed men to take his wife. The same man was willing to stand and offer his only son up as a sacrifice, believing that God will raise him up from the dead. Why? Because Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for what? Righteousness. That righteousness worked in him until God produced that in his life. Please, I hope I get my point. What is iniquity? That's what we are talking about. Back to Genesis. That is why, listen, in this life, you can't afford to be smart and serve God the way you like. That's why I tell Christians, I think like, I'll go and give an offering to God. He will bless me. <laughs> God said, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. If you think your offering it was going to make, make me get up and start running up and down, I never seen an offering before. People say, eh, 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 Solomon sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. God could not sleep again because of a thousand malu. What's in one thousand malu? What's in one thousand cows? God said the cattle on a thousand hills, they are mine. Every bit of life on the earth belongs to me. So you gave me a thousand burnt offerings. Do you know why Solomon did a thousand burnt offerings? That was the number of people that came for the feast. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He had to feast everybody. <laughs> everybody had to eat. To come, but don't think that's what impressed God. What impressed God in the life of Solomon was obedience to the words that his father handed down to him. Let's get back to that Genesis. Let's see what real iniquity is. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the, tree, from the fruit of the trees in the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. 
The serpent said to the woman, you, will sh- you, surely, you surely will not die. For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was, delight, was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from his fruit and ate. And she gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Now, please, let me, let's, I want you to analyze something with me as we go on. Almost everything, I said almost, almost everything that the serpent said to Eve was factually true. He said, the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And that's what God does not want you to have, opened eyes. I hope you're getting my point. God does not want you to have open eyes. And the day she ate of it, the Bible says her eyes were open. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they saw they were naked. The first thing they saw was not good. Sometimes it's good that God doesn't let you see. Do you know? Once I was reading my Bible and it dawned on me that God just acted out of, out of his character when he said Israel should go and spy the promised land. And I was wondering why would he do that? But I didn't have an answer. Until much later, I read the same account in Deuteronomy when Moses was recounting what happened. You see, that's why, listen, be careful when you are reading your Bible. Read it well, and very importantly, listen to people teach on it. Continue learning. Because some things you read one portion, that's why the Bible will give you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's why God gave it to you. There are things you read in Matthew. The same account, Luke will give it to you. Two words different, give you a different light. If you read that thing only from Numbers, you will read Moses you will see that God told Moses, tell the people, choose 12 people from each tribe, all right, one from each tribe, and go and spy the land. But if you go to, when I read that one day, I said, this is, God, this is crazy. You, you wouldn't do this. This is not faith. You expect people to walk by faith. And I read, read Deuteronomy, and Moses told us what really happened. He said, you were the ones that came. <laughs> Please go and go and check me out there. You were the ones that came and said you wanted to check out the land. Then I went to the Lord, and the Lord said, choose 12 people. Let them go. They would not hear. And that was why they could not enter the promised land. What they saw. Sometimes, eh, let me digress a bit. We have to apply this to marriage. You know, many people can do investigation. Go and check whether something, something is in their family. So, some people want to check sexual compatibility, iniquity. What you will see, we deny you the... Bro- <laughs> you have to walk by faith. Let me leave that one there. We're not talking marriage matter now. 
The one that means you can't tell whether there's madness in the family. There is no family that doesn't have madness. There's none. There is none. There is none. I get. Okay, but I get. There's none. There's none. There's none. Oh, nonsense is that one. But don't take your life by faith. See, madness depends on what you have seen. You have never seen trouble. Your father was a middle-level civil servant in the 60s. Your mother was a, was a teacher or a nurse in the 60s. They were paying them, you know, they were taking car loans, doing everything. You grew up, your, 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 you went for scholarship here, you went to UI. You understand? And you were paying one pound, one, one pound you know, all those days and day. How? Of course there's no madness. How can there be madness in your family? When the British government has taken care of your father, your mother, no stress, they will now import your father's grandson to this generation. You wake up in Abba, IPOB does not, they won't let you go out on their Friday. <laughs> they didn't finally go out, they said, coronavirus has come so just say go back inside. Like somebody said that, listen, you know, there's going to be curfew. It will be, um, it will be enforced by both the police and the army. I want you to know police is your friend. Soldier is not. <laughs> so you see that kind of trouble? You invest money in a business. You borrowed in U.S. dollars. As coronavirus hit, dollar went from 360 naira to 450. That's why we know that there's madness in your family or there's no madness. Believe me, if you don't mad that day. <laughs> Listen, many people that have not seen madness in their family, they've not seen trouble in the family. So everybody is sane. Every, no, everybody is sane. The day they see trouble, you will see the genetic predisposition that has been suppressed by environmental prosperity. I hope you like my English there. It's very good English. When the madness wakes up, you say, he was not like this before. Eh, life was not like this before with him too. I saw a movie years ago, interesting movie. It had some mafia side to it. One man was a crazy man. He and his friend they were doing a business. His friend that he was doing business with was a calm fellow, very calm. He had a wife and two children. But that one, uh, you don't even know where he, where he wakes up, where he sleeps. So he looks like the bad guy. You would think he's the one that would do the evil. They were not desperate in their business. So that anyhow guy, he now told his friend that, I know somebody who can lend us money. So that one got up and borrowed money from Al Capone. Did you hear what I said? One local mafia done. He borrowed money from him that they want to do business. So that guy just opened his... Draw brought how many one million dollars he gave them cash. Ah, he just brought out the money, just gave it to them. Oh, I only security. He looked at the first guy. He said, That's anyhow guy. He said, You are your own security. So that guy, your wife, your two children, they are your security. That one like, which guy will allow this one? I can't borrow money. And you know mafia money interest rate. They invested the money, not knowing that it was a fraudulent man that collected the whole thing. Very funny movie. You know what happened? That man and his two children, uh, that man with the wife and two children, he took a gun and started shooting everybody. He hunted down those guys who stole the money. Where's my money? Shoot the guy in the leg. 
They brought the money and he killed the people, collected the mafia man's money and gave it back to him. So you want to know that his mother is the family? Where your wife? <laughs> if you see the movie, very funny. No, at the beginning, he was a nice guy. Quiet, wouldn't hurt a fly. His friend was a crazy human being. When heat came, he looked at his wife, looked at his two children, looked at the mafia man. He took a gun. I did. He was killed. All those criminal people, he shot, he got his money back. You want to see madness in the family? First, calculate it according to the pressure that the family has seen. DJ Coop is rapping, rapping. Why won't you be rapping? Your father is a billionaire. <laughs> you want to know you are talented? Go to Juelegba. <laughs> Sorry, DJ Coop, in case you are watching us. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. I mean, you are doing a show. Adam, go to come. Yeah, well, of course, now, Abba. The Lord is good. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's stick with our message. So Moses said to them, it was you that came. And when they went and saw, what they saw denied them of their inheritance. If they are taking it by faith, I can assure you, they will have entered into the promised land. So, oh, my time. So what happened to Eve? Everything that Satan said turned out to be true. I want you to bear that in mind, physically speaking. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree, tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from his fruit and ate, and gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig trees, fig leaves together, and made themselves loin coverings. Then they heard the verse um, eight. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him. Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Now, for time's sake, I am going to jump all the curses and all the arguments, I will now get down to verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord said, Behold, this is where I'm going next, the man has become like one of us. Knowing good and evil, the very thing that Satan promised. Can you remember that? If you want to look at the facts, he did not lie. He didn't lie. He said, your eyes will be opened. The eyes were opened. You will be like God. God said, they have, this man has become like one of us. Knowing good and evil. Now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the garden from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Basically, that first act of God of driving them out was a merciful act, bear that in mind. He didn't want them to have access to the tree of life. Because the tree of life, what it was going to do was create a permanence, all right, to the situation in which they found themselves. But let's describe that situation first of all. When he said that you will be like God, I've already established that there was not a lie. God himself said it, they have become like one of us, that he has become like one of us. When he said your eyes will be open, you will know good and evil. We see the Bible says clearly the eyes of both of them, what happened, became opened and they now knew good and evil. Now what is difficult for most people to understand is what is wrong in knowing what is good and what is evil. I hope you're getting my point. That is why many people find a problem. Now, but is when you see the word know in the Bible, you must try and get it in context. For example, if you hear that Adam knew his wife, you were like, ah, you did not know how old his wife. Who are you living with? You thought it was a stranger? I hope you're getting my point. But the word know in that context, and he be, he, he, he con- she conceived and be, begat somebody, you in that context know that no is not the normal head knowledge or visual knowledge. Now, when the Bible uses the word know also, sometimes like this, you must understand it wasn't just talking about knowing something with, by acquaintance, like, okay, now nah, I know this is blue, I know this is red, I know this is yellow. Knowing good and evil in this context is different. What he was saying basically is this, that henceforth, the man has now decided that I will be the one to decide what is good and what is evil. I hope you're getting my point here. Let me give an example. The whole world right now lies under that power. A man wrote a book. It had to do with the biology of um, human sexuality. His name is not... um, His name just escaped. It's a name I know quite well. I will try... If you know the name, can you just give it to me? His book was said to have laid the foundation for the sexual revolution of the 70s. Or is it 60s or 70s? All right? I'll remember his name. It's a name I know very well. Okay? Now, I've, I've mentioned it many times. But he wrote a book. And in the book... He did an, an analysis. He did a study. He wanted to show how human beings behaved. And at the end of it, he, he did a study. He checked those who had uh, thoughts of adultery, those who committed adultery, those who were homosexuals, lesbians, how many people had those thoughts, even though they are not living the life. He checked all of those things. He talked about, he, he did a lot of study and published it. Now, of course, years later, scientists came and faulted his sample size. For example, they found a disproportionate amount of sexual offenders amongst his sample. He went to prison a lot. A lot of the people he sampled were even prostitutes. So basically, he skewed the general information by focusing disproportionately amongst those who had some degree of sexual perversion in their lives. But this is the point. 
At the end of the day, he concluded, is the conclusion I'm coming to, that adultery is normal, homosexuality is normal, prostitution is normal. It's how people feel. And it was published, it was circulated worldwide, and it is claimed to have laid the foundation for the sexual revolution. No, not Sigmund Freud. If, if, if I know the name. That was a psychologist. No, this man did, he did a study, you know, solving um, questionnaires and all of that. Now, this is the point I want to bring out from it. What he did is what, well, I don't know whether he, he originated the word, but I heard it from Ravi Zacharias. What he did is what they call salvation by survey. What is average is normal. That's what they call salvation by survey. What is average is normal. So if all of us are doing it, it must be normal. There's no reference. There's no immovable reference. The reference we use as believers, which is actually the opposite, what, the opposite of what Adam, Adam and Eve did, was to, is that this is what we do. If we say it is common, it's average, we don't say it's normal. We turn to the manufacturer. He himself made us. We did not make ourselves. We turn to him and say, is this normal? And he will say, in the beginning, it was not so. So we'll turn to ourselves say, brethren, we are living in an abnormal way. Even though all of us are doing it, we will now start working to reverse it. Why? Because he said it is not so. Now, what does it mean to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It's simply to say, I, from now on, we will decide what is right. We will decide what is normal. Basically, it's one thing. It's throwing away the lordship of God the creator out of your life. It is not about whether you kill somebody or not kill somebody. The result is that you will start killing people. I hope you're getting my point. But that is not what made it wrong. What the iniquity was, okay, was that you threw away God's word as a final verdict as a final reference point, and said that I will check whether it is good. When I finish checking, if I say it is good, then it must be good. If I say it is bad, then it is bad. It's called salvation by survey. So in a country like ours, we should actually legalize corruption. Why? Most people do it. We'll say, okay, it's no longer a crime to steal. It now becomes a crime if we give you the opportunity to steal and you don't do enough of it. Do you get my point? We now have a new reference. Whether we've written it or not, people are practicing it. The result is what we now see every day. When President Basunjo came into power at that time, I was watching his presidential briefing. And he released money to complete the minting and printing corporation of Nigeria factory or build one, one project. He said something that he had to release that money so they can finish the building. But that he turned to the contractors and they said to him that the money you guys have spent plus the one you are giving us now, everywhere else in the world we will build at least three of these. He said it on television. That the total money, because previous administrations started the work, the contractors told him, I don't know which of these um, European companies, they said, sir, let's tell you the truth. All the money you guys have spent, if it was not Nigeria, would have done three of these projects for you guys and delivered. Obasan just said, what will I now do? 
We've spent so much money, the project is not complete. I had to give them what they needed to complete it so that they would complete it and deliver it. If you like, legalize something because it is common. It's called death. Everybody will experience the consequences of the actions. They asked the Chinese man, I don't know which book I was reading it in, that what do you think of the French Revolution, the, cons- the effect? This was 200 years after. He said it is too early to tell. Now, I'm going to say something here. There are things you do now. 200 years later, you will not even know the effect. That's why human beings really, they don't, ha- listen, God measures the span of the whole universe in his hands. Now, you must understand, universe is not space, it's also time. I don't know whether you got what I said there. It's not just space. So when you say God measures the span of the universe in his hands, that is true, one. Number two is that it's not just the space, it is time. He can see the effect of what you are doing now, what you be in one million years' time. So human beings do not have the inherent and natural capacity to make decisions about this life. You don't. You don't. You don't. You don't. The only person that knows it, that's why we read Psalm 100, is the maker of everything. Is the one that knows what will result at the end of the day. What does it mean to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It is to say, if I don't like it, it's my decision. You know, if you hear people talk about what they call choice in America, which I, I hope you understand, you must understand that America is a funny place. They are far better than Europeans. But they make a lot of noise. You think they are worse. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Americans are always going to court. Is abortion legal? It's not legal. Europeans don't argue it. It was legal in every corner of Europe centuries ago. Not centuries, literally. Years ago. So it's Americans you will see going to court <laughs> and be arguing. Can they reverse Roe versus Wade? Or they can't, they won't. That's what they are arguing. And by the way, the woman Roe never had an abortion. Oh, I found that recently. You've heard of Roe versus Wade. The thing that they used to legalize abortion in America, the argument was on a woman who never had an abortion in her whole life. That's another story. <laughs> but the point I'm making is this. So you see Americans making that noise. I just dropped that one in. Europe, Europe is worse. I told you that day, the argument they had recently in Europe was that whether two midwives in Sweden, because in Sweden midwives perform abortions, whether the two midwives could refuse to do it because of their Christianity. And the European courts for human rights said, no, you can't. They are lost in every court in Sweden. That's Europe. So let's get back to America. You hear America making a lot of noise. That's because they're making a lot of noise, but they're not half as bad as their European brethren. Where I'm going is the story they tell. When you hear what they call choice, the word choice is used to support abortion, to make it look like a good thing. That's one of the methods when the world wants to remove the lordship of God out of their lives. They give good words to bad things. For example, they won't tell you about homosexual marriages. They will tell you about marriage equality. So it looks like if you can only, a man can only marry a woman and a woman can only marry a man, it's a bad thing because it is what? Unequal. So they call it what? Marriage equality. For abortion, they call it choice. If they use the word killing unborn babies, nobody will agree. So they call it choice. Then they start describing that a woman has a right to do what she likes with her body. 
Now, we're not going to the argument of whether it is good or bad. Only one argument I have for you. Who says she has the right? We have a creator, and he said you don't. He even told me as a man, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The occupant of his temple decides what he does with his temple. Anybody who does not walk according to the dictates of the owner of the temple dies. So even though this body is supposedly mine, I'm a custodian of the temple of God. I don't do what feels right to me. I do what he says do with my temple. I'm telling you what Christianity is and what those people did in the, in the Garden of Eden. So when you hear, so you, you must understand how to argue when you want to argue with people. Like I tell my class when we were talking, I say, this man said, you are an APC pastor. The way it, I say, listen, my talk is based on my faith. So get it clear. One day I sat down, I termize for them how I reason because we'll continue to disagree. Don't expect me to be reasonable tomorrow. I will not be reasonable and disagree with Jesus Christ. I let everybody know. So we they fight periodically. <laughs> They've called me all kinds of names, and I like it like that. We just we joke, but there are things you get to, you know you're looking for my fight. Why? Because you want me to be reasonable. You want me to make a decision concerning what is right and what is wrong, and I can't. Why? It is called eating of the tree, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm calling myself God. That's why God said he has become like one of us. What does he mean by that? Fearing nobody, the initiator of things, doing as he likes, which the Bible says concerning God. He does as he likes in the expanse of the heavens, and nobody can ask him, what have you done? Man said, that is what I want to do also. So God said, fine, you have become what? Like one of us. And if I'm to consummate my plan today, I send you into eternal darkness. You will be without me permanently. That is the meaning of iniquity. Iniquity is not what you do. What you do that you call sin is a result of the iniquity. I hope you're getting my point. It is when you have rejected the lordship of Christ Jesus in your life. It's when you have rejected the lordship of the creator that you start misbehaving. Ah, my time has really gone, and I, but I have to stop. You know the reason why. <laughs> we really have to go home. But even though, really, I am not done. Yeah. I'll say I'll, I'll, I'll be able to pick this when we come back next time. But that is what God had to save man from. Let's put it like this. God had to save man from himself. Man wanted to be his own God. God said, it won't pay you. You have to let me continue to be God. Like he said in Psalm 100, this Lord is God. I feel like reading that I close with it. Well, we read in Psalm 100. Let me just read out to you. And we have to close now for time's sake. He said, know that the Lord himself is God. Adam can never be God. Eve can never be God. The Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. All we are is that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. What does that mean? It means that he made us. Let's allow him to be God he will take care of us. We can't be God by ourselves. He will take care of us. The reason why you want to be your own God is so you can make your own decisions. So you can get the best for yourself in life. But God said, you are the sheep of my pasture. I know what is good. I am the one that will lead you beside still waters. I'm the one that will give you that which is good for you. 
If you follow what you think is right, eventually you will find out that you have only bought death for yourself. So he said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Satan said, you will not die. That was one area where even though physically, again, he told the truth, he really, really got it wrong. That day, God cast them out from his presence. Spiritually, they died. Physically, they did not drop dead. But then, the effect of death now started. Maybe next time we begin to talk about the effect of death. Man began to struggle. We'll talk briefly about marriage and the curse of Eve. You will see what he meant when he said, your, your desire will be for your husband, and he shall lord it over you. It looks like a good thing. Yeah, your woman's desire should be for her husband. But like I always say, if you want a Mercedes-Benz G-Class, brand new, 2020 model, put up your hand. People put up their hand and said, that's how I know those who don't have it. <laughs> those who have it, they wouldn't put up their hands. They already had it. He saw that the cost of working with your own energy, with your own knowledge, marriages will separate, productivity will be hard. You see all this fight for coronavirus up and down. We will not hear. They say scientists, listen, because if you want coronavirus to disappear tomorrow, do what David did. You go in repentance and say, Lord, we have sinned. And you offer the right sacrifice at that moment. And the angel will stop in an instant. But you know what? They will not have any of it. Say, we will not agree. Rather, we will do our research. We will find a cure. We will find the antibodies. We will find the vaccine. We will do social distancing. We will do and God say, go ahead, do it. Then finally, it will seem to work. By that time, one million will be dead. And then the plague will die down. And I hope my church will go in and teach the truth. Because when I bring the next plague, I will humble everything that you have. You will look at your own science. You will despise it. Because in the laboratory, I will kill those who are researching. That they might know who is God. Oh, let's go home. Let's bow down our heads. Let's say, Lord, we thank you for truth. We thank you for truth. For enlightening us with your truth. Let's continue to thank the Lord and say, Father, we thank you for truth that you have sent to us. We thank you for righteousness. We thank you for light. We thank you for light. We thank you for redemption. These are the things we are thanking you for, having given us understanding this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your constant presence that is always with us. We give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for mercy and your patience towards us. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, for that blood that was shed for us. We give you praise forever. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Shall we share the grace in fellowship? Quickly. One, two, three. Let's go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out of under the curse into the blessing. All things are passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is a season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Just give that last line to yourself. Say, this is my season, a season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Cheryl, brethren, see you on Tuesday.